Folks, have you checked out the Irish History Podcast shop recently? Right now, I have a sale of 30% off everything when you use the code SALE30. So go to irishhistorypodcast.ie forward slash shop and get 30% off everything when you use the discount code SALE30. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello and welcome to the Irish History Podcast. My name is Finn DeWire and this is Climate Change in Medieval Ireland, a warning from the past. Over the last few months, Ireland has been mauled by atrocious weather. Record-breaking storms have battered the country, leaving many wondering whether this is just a foretaste of what lies ahead as climate change becomes reality. Frequently, people have predicted that this will lead to a collapse in society in the imminent future. But the experience of our medieval ancestors, as we shall see in this podcast, predicts a very different outcome. If the experience of late 13th and early 14th century climate change is anything to go by, while society might not collapse, the future is far from bright. In this podcast we shall see how unpredictable and often dire weather conditions in the medieval period contributed to making life increasingly more difficult, dangerous and indeed violent, as people battled to control what were increasingly diminishing resources. To begin the show, I want to put this medieval climate change in context, as society in the medieval era was far more vulnerable to bad weather than we are today, and this is something worth factoring in when drawing analogies from the past about current day life. While moaning about the weather is a favourite Irish pastime, our medieval ancestors must have never stopped. Their lives were far more impacted by adverse weather than ours is today. On a minor level, even a normal rainy day must have made life far more miserable. People didn't have Gore-Tex or waterproof raincoats. Instead, most wore garments made from natural fibres such as wool. If these got wet... They soaked up water and were much more difficult to dry out. But such minor discomfort was only the tip of the iceberg. In almost every aspect of life, poor weather had a much bigger impact in the medieval world. Indeed, a brief look at the world of sea travel, crucial to trade during this era, highlights this. In the 1250s, the clerk, Roger de Evesham, was crossing to Ireland from England to carry out some business on behalf of his master, the Dean of St Martin's in London. Travelling across England, he arrived on the coast of Wales, 
However, there he had to wait for nine days for bad weather to clear. Going to sea in bad weather could be a death sentence in the medieval period, as ships were tiny vessels, scarcely 30 metres in length and dependent on sail power. Even when the weather did clear, Roger took what could be described as a calculated guess by boarding ship and hoping the poor weather would not return. He wasn't very lucky because while he was at sea, a storm blew up. This effectively stranded him in the middle of the Irish Sea for three days. With only sails to rely on, the storm rendered his ship unable to move. Eventually, Roger successfully landed in Wexford after what should have been a 24-hour journey turned into a 12-day epic on account of the weather. Nevertheless, Roger was in some respects lucky. Some of those caught at sea in storms didn't survive to tell the tale. Most famously, Walter the Thornbury, the treasurer of Ireland, was killed along with 150 others in 1313 when crossing to England. Sea travel is just one example of how inclement weather impacted life in the medieval period in ways we cannot imagine. Similarly, almost every other aspect of life, from the economy to buildings, were equally vulnerable. Indeed, even the most well-built structures could be damaged by storms. In 1228, the only recently completed Dublin Castle was severely damaged by wind, and a carpenter, only recorded as Walter the Carpenter, was paid 24 marks, the equivalent of £16, to carry out the works on the towers in need of repair. Cathedrals were also susceptible to damage. In July 1461, the east window of Christ Church Cathedral blew in, bringing down masonry on numerous relics stored below it. Now, by this point, I hope you're getting a picture of a society which was heavily impacted by bad weather and therefore highly susceptible to even small changes in climate. When poor weather became increasingly frequent in the late 13th century, unsurprisingly then, life also became incredibly difficult. Between 1270 and around 1450, strange things happened to the climate in Ireland, Europe and indeed the world. What exactly was going on is not certain, but there was a significant increase in storms, rain and generally unpredictable weather. This was once thought to be the beginning of a period called the Little Ice Age, but in recent years economic historians have seriously called into question whether this period of climate cooling, which supposedly lasted up to the 19th century, actually happened. This debate is kind of outside the scope of our podcast today. What is undeniable, and most important for us, is that in Ireland, from about 1270 onwards, the weather became more inclement, to put it mildly. From historical sources, it's obvious that the climate was wetter, and this had dramatic knock-on effects. It is this that should interest us, given that we are facing similarly unpredictable weather. Now, generally speaking, I am going to refer to the changes in the medieval climate as climate change, but as I've said, it is worth remembering There is a debate over the reasons about why it took place and for how long these changes lasted. The increase in unpredictable weather produced absolutely shocking conditions in the late 13th century and early 14th century, seen very clearly in the years 1270-71, to 1295-96, 1296-97 to 
1308 to 1310, 1315 to 17 and 1330 to 31. These were just not years of poor weather. Indeed, most of these periods that I've just described produced back-to-back harvest failures. Now, you might be thinking, so what? A bad harvest failure? That doesn't mean a lot. In the medieval world, this was nothing short of catastrophic. Effectively, nature was declaring war on your food supply, the structure and social fabric of the society you lived in. And in this situation, as we shall see, there was only going to be one winner. To see what this exactly meant when nature declared war on medieval society, the records from the year 1330 to 31 allow us to reconstruct the horrific impact of poor weather. The weather in the years 1330 to 31 was nothing short of appalling. A Franciscan from Kilkenny, John Clinn, described it in the following manner. From May right up to February, it was excessively wet, full of rain and wind, so that summer and autumn seemed to almost have become the winter period. Other sources record that the harvest of 1330 did not begin until Michaelmas, a feast at the end of September, a date usually associated with the end of harvest. Such a late harvest severely affected the yield and this spelled disaster for the population, as we shall see. The situation was further compounded by two dreadful storms late in the year, one on the Feast of the Blessed Catherine, November the 25th, and then another on the Vigil of Christmas, which is December the 23rd. Hayricks were destroyed while buildings collapsed and rivers flooded, destroying infrastructure. Inevitably, this poor weather and disastrous harvest had a huge impact on food supply and prices. The Kilkenny friar John Clinn recorded that importation of grain through the summer did keep prices stable, but later in the year this source of food dried up, presumably as sea travel became impossible in poor weather. Prices began to skyrocket. Wheat reached 20 shillings a cranach according to the annals of St Mary's Abbey in Dublin. The normal price was only 4 shillings per cranach. Barley, peas and beans reached 8 shillings per cranach. This represented around a 400% increase in price. Starvation followed as many were priced out of the market. By the middle of 1331, the country was in dire straits as famine set in. Incidentally, this led to one of the most unusual stories in Dublin's history. An event which James Joyce deemed worthy of inclusion in Ulysses. This saw a strange but very lucky coincidence save Dublin as it faced starvation, when by chance a pod of whales beached themselves on the shore near the city in the summer of 1331. They were quickly butchered and provided the population with sustenance, but many elsewhere were not so lucky. Events like those in 1330-31 and the chaos that followed became increasingly common in Ireland as the climate changed. Indeed, if anything, 1330-31 was on the milder end of the scale. The years 1315 to 1321 had seen Ireland and indeed Europe devastated by what is regarded as one of the worst famines in European history. It was comparable to the Great Irish Famine of the 19th century except on a European-wide scale. Poor weather resulted in a crop failure which emaciated the population through starvation between 1315 and 1318. However, the weather also had drastic knock-on effects. 
the worst being a bovine plague. That's a plague that affects cows. This killed around one in every two cows in Europe between 1318 and 1321, having drastic impacts on the economy. Indeed, famine arising from poor weather was so common by the early 14th century that a person in their early 20s who survived that famine I mentioned in the 1330s had by that stage endured three distinct famines. So as a young child, they would have lived through a famine that struck in 1308 to 1310. As a teenager, they endured the horrendous period I've just mentioned between 1315 to 1321. And then finally, there's that famine in the 1330s. Even for those who survived, this starvation had really far-reaching consequences. Many historians of the Black Death have pointed out that this frequent and serious malnutrition had a major impact on people's immune systems. Indeed, it may have been a contributing factor as to why the Black Death was so devastating when it swept through Europe in 1347 to 1349. It killed somewhere in the region of 45% of the European population. While famine caused by the changing climate resulted in immense hardship, it was warfare arising from these food shortages that had the most long-lasting social impact. Now to understand this, we must now turn to the Gaelic Irish and see how they were affected by this drastic weather because they were arguably the most vulnerable in medieval society. But before I do this, I want to take a quick break. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Gaelic society, as I've said in many episodes of the podcast, had been fundamentally altered in about every way imaginable by the Norman invasion of the 12th century. The Normans, who had arrived in Ireland in the 1160s, had conquered about 75% of the island by 1240. Gaelic Ireland as a functioning society had ceased to exist in the lowlands, which were now occupied by Norman colonists. While many of the poor Gaelic serfs remained behind to work Norman farms, the aristocracy, where possible, held extended family groups together in the lands the Normans did not want or had not yet conquered. In Leinster, the southeastern quadrant of medieval Ireland, the MacMurras, O'Burns and O'Tools had been forced into the Wicklow Mountains, an inhospitable terrain, 
that had been sparsely populated prior to the invasion. There they struggled to eke out an existence. The mountains were poor, the productivity of the soil was low and the winters were hard. Surprisingly, however, despite this massive injustice done to them, there was very little in the way of a response from the Gaelic Irish, particularly in the East. Indeed, if anything, they appear to have been akin to a rabbit in the headlight, dazzled by the social dislocation, chaos and overwhelming Norman military superiority. This inability to resist saw about 100 years of a kind of peace reign after the invasion. However, this peace masked the fine balance on which medieval society in parts of Ireland rested. The Gaelic Irish in the Wicklow Mountains were living in hardship, looking down on the Anglo-Norman colony booming on the lands their families once owned. Indeed, this created a potential problem for the colonists, as it was around the Wicklow Mountains that the heart of the Norman colony and economy emerged. In Dublin, to the north of the mountains, the Barrow Valley to the west of the mountains and Wexford to the south of the mountains. If anything happened and the Gaelic Irish were ever to rebel, this could have immense consequences. When the climate began to change in the 1270s, this is exactly what happened. The Wicklow Mountains became increasingly uninhabitable and the Gaelic Irish needed their land that now formed the core of the Norman colony. By 1260, there were some signs serious opposition was mounting to the Norman invasion of Ireland. But this was generally in the far west, isolated from Dublin, or Wicklow for that matter. In the west, the powerful Gaelic families attempted to roll back the invaders. This was marked by two great victories. Firstly, at the Battle of Callan in Kerry in 1262, and then more spectacularly in 1270. That year saw the O'Connors crush a huge Norman army led by the Lord of Connacht, Walter de Burgh, along the upper reaches of the Shannon River, around the castle of Ochenkip, in a battle fought over three days. While the west of Ireland was raging with war and the Normans were not faring too well there, the colony in the east appeared to be as peaceful as ever. Indeed, the battlefields of Ochenkip and Callan were over two days' journey from the capital in Dublin, and for many they probably seemed a world away. However, this situation did not last long. While the O'Connors inflicted that terrible victory on the Normans in 1270, the first serious effects of the changing climate were making themselves felt in the east, in and around the Wicklow Mountains. Indeed, the impact of this changing climate would have far more consequences than both the victories at Ochenkip and Callan. It would bring war to the core of the Norman colony in Ireland, for decades and transformed the area for centuries. The trigger for this war was the weather, which in the early 1270s was dire and brought harsh famine as the harvest failed in 1270 and 1271. It was recorded that even the wealthy were suffering. This had massive consequences for the delicate equilibrium that had existed in Leinster where the Gaelic Irish had been marginalised. High in the mountains, their lives must have been unimaginable as the weather got worse. The O'Burns and O'Tools were living in the high passes of Glenmalure and the Glen of Amal. These are remote valleys, often impassable in winter due to snow and ice. One can only imagine what conditions it must have been like in these areas, 
were starving people, lived in shelters with no central heating, with only a fire in the middle of a room to warm them while snow fell outside. Something had to give, and, in 1270, the peace that reigned in the east since the invasion was shattered. The O'Burns and O'Toole's raided Anglo-Norman settlements looking for food. This soon turned into a large-scale revolt, no doubt fuelled by long-held resentments. Many of the once relatively peaceful colonial settlements in Wicklow and South Dublin now lived on tenterhooks, wondering if any noise in the night was a raiding party from the mountains. While peace did return in 1282, this upheaval was a grim portent of what the changing climate meant for the Anglo-Norman colony in Ireland. The increasingly harsh climate had transformed long-held resentments among the Gaelic Irish into revolt. If famine came again, it was obvious what would happen. By the 1290s, Ireland was yet again hit by ferocious weather and severe famine followed suit between 1295 and 1297. Even the poor of Dublin were reduced to eating the bodies of executed criminals, so one can only imagine what life was like in the Wicklow Mountains. Predictably, the Gaelic Irish in these mountains, desperate for food, revolted again. This time it was difficult to control, and no sooner had some kind of stability returned to the region than attacks surged again in 1308, provoked by bad weather and famine. It was clear the climate was growing increasingly unstable and the Gaelic Irish could no longer survive on the fringes of Norman Ireland. They increasingly needed land and the food it produced, which had been taken from them by the Normans during the invasion. This had huge consequences for the colony, as almost continuous warfare erupted after the desperate famine of 1315-18. to Indeed, the colony in the East Wicklow region collapsed under the weight of these raids. Worse still, in West Wicklow, the Gaelic Irish began to push down off the mountains and threatened the key routeway of the Upper Barrow Valley. While it was by no means the only cause, the change in weather in the late 13th century was a major factor in the crisis engulfing the Norman colony in Ireland. However, Wicklow wasn't the only place that the change in climate had an impact on Gaelic-Irish society. As we shall see next, it drastically altered the situation among the Gaelic-Irish in Ulster as well. Long before the Norman invasion, the powerful Gaelic families in the west and north of Ireland had been internally divided. It was almost a part and parcel of Gaelic life where various factions of families struggled for dominance. However, after the invasion, one of the many issues that created division was how to deal with the Normans. More conservative elements advocated a live-and-let-live approach while others argued for an aggressive attitude which they felt was more advantageous. Unsurprisingly, those willing to work with the Normans could often find military support in internal conflicts if needed. For want of a better term, these pro- and anti-Norman sentiments often contributed to the feuding amongst factions within Gaelic-Irish families. The most decisive of these, however, took place within the most powerful Gaelic family, the O'Neills of Western Ulster in the late 13th century. And it is here that I think poor weather played a decisive role. From 1260 onwards, the O'Neills were ruled by a series of kings who advocated working with the Normans. 
They paid tribute to the Anglo-Norman Earls of Ulster, intermarried with them and received military aid when needed. However, from about 1280, a figure called Donal O'Neill emerged to lead a faction within the family who were militantly opposed to this strategy. The struggle between the two sides lasted for over a decade, finally becoming decisive in 1295 when Donal, who was opposed to Norman collaboration, emerged victorious and executed his rival. Now, crucially for our story, 1295 was, of course, that year of poor weather and terrible famine in Ireland, which had caused such havoc in Wicklow. This struggle in Ulster, which also had its roots very deep in dynastic politics among the O'Neills, was not removed from the pressure brought to bear by such famine and poor weather. Now, I think it's highly likely that Donal O'Neill could only finally gain enough support to topple his rivals in that famine year, as it was then that his argument of opposing collaboration with the Normans made most sense. While more research is unquestionably needed on this subject, it seems clear to me that the deteriorating climate in the late 13th and early 14th century transformed medieval Ireland. It caused famines and, as we have seen, hardened attitudes within Gaelic Ireland, leading to increased warfare with the Anglo-Normans. In some cases, such as Wicklow, it left people really no choice at all. All they could do was fight for better land or starve to death. For those living in the Norman colony, these stark choices which were forced onto the Gaelic Irish saw raids, violence, warfare and general uncertainty increase as life became more and more dangerous. These conflicts were essentially what would be deemed today as resource wars, the resource in question, in this case, being productive farmland which people could survive on. In terms of where the podcast began and what this all means for our future, given that we face increasingly unpredictable weather, if this is anything to go by, we're in for a pretty rough ride. While modern buildings can resist storms better than medieval buildings, one wonders how much more resilient our society as a whole is in the long term. Will climate change do what it did in the medieval period and exacerbate underlying tensions in society, creating upheaval, as those who have been pushed to the fringes on both a local and global level are forced to resort to violence to survive, as crucial resources become more expensive and difficult to come by? Only time will tell. Well, that's a bit of a bleak note to end the podcast on. Don't forget, I'm always really keen to hear your thoughts on this episode. So you can find me at Irish History on Twitter or Irish History Podcast on Facebook. If you've enjoyed this show and want to contribute to the podcast, don't forget you can do so at irishhistorypodcast.ie and click the donate button. That's irishhistorypodcast.ie and click the donate button. So until next time, slum. Thank you. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.